All right, let me read our passage for today. Uh, this is our theme verse for the year, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 7, but I'm going to read verses 6 and 7. Uh, this is God's word. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I'll read it one more time. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Uh, let's pray. Lord, you care for us so deeply. Uh, you are an all-powerful, all-loving, wise, concerned Father. And so I pray as our Father, you would be giving us what we need today. Uh, you would be speaking to us in ways that are personally encouraging and helpful, uh, that you would bring healing and freedom and salvation and transformation through your powerful word. Um, I pray you would help us listen and even put these things into practice and even see our lives in a completely different way that would help free us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, trust in God. And then you're like, yeah, but what about all these things I'm worried about? Right? Uh, the word trust in God, the, the phrase or theme, uh, there's a lot there. So when you think about your future, uh, what are the things you trust in? Do you trust in school? Do you trust in your love life? Do you trust in your family or your money or education? Um, or do you trust in God? The, the, these are the questions that scripture poses. Uh, what will be reliable for you? What will come through for you? Who is trustworthy? Who can you depend on in any circumstance? And I think one of the huge issues that we have when it comes to trusting in God is what you could call anxiety or worry. Um, we're going to talk a lot about this, what this is, uh, but what I want you to see is there is actually a story underneath all of our anxiety about reality, okay? And so, okay, Dis disclaimers, qualifiers. Let me qualify myself before I get into argument. Um, I'm not a mental health professional. Uh, we have those in our church. And so uh, I'm not saying, what I am not saying is there is no room for medication. There's no room for like practical you know, advice and practices that will help you. Cognitive behavioral therapy, I'm aware of many of these things. Uh, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is uh, for many of us, I would say, especially for those of us where the anxiety is kind of, if you have the anxiety slider, your anxiety is on a less extreme number. So if you're like a 10 on the anxiety scale, then th like this will actually be applicable to you, but you might need more help than this. But for many of us, uh, if you're a more reasonable uh, anxiety number, uh, I think this is actually so important because this has to do with our whole view of reality. Uh, and even if you're a 10, I think there's something that God wants to use from his word to encourage you. So let me talk about anxiety. Let me uh, define different types of anxiety. Um, there are four or so types of anxiety. I'm making a totally arbitrary number in classification, but hopefully you can recognize some of these. Uh, number one is the night before a test anxiety. Uh, another, way you could say this is, 
You're waiting for college <laughs> acceptance or rejection anxiety, right? So there's one specific thing that is happening in the future that you're extremely worried about, and you feel like this thing has an outsized importance on your future life, right? Uh, and so this test might be super duper important. And so the night before, uh, if you're anything like me, like you can't sleep well, you kind of toss and turn. Uh, sometimes, so, oh, I should just say right off the bat, I'm pretty sure I'm an anxious person. Um, I definitely am a depressed person, but I'm sure depression and anxiety, they're like conjoined twins, they're related to each other. Um, I think depression is perhaps the way I handle being anxious about the future or feel fearful about the future. I just give up, you know, and feel bad. <laughs> and that's one approach people have to dealing with anxiety. So I, I'm not coming from a place where I'm so brave and temperamentally I'm not anxious. I am totally anxious, okay? And I don't know, you guys probably see this, or maybe some of you think I'm so cool and I'm never worried. You're wrong, okay? I'm always worried. I'm worried a lot. Uh, but over time, I think, you know, honestly, God has really helped me and God's word, and people have helped me. Um, so there's night before a test anxiety. The next one is juggling chainsaws. So the night before a test is like there's one thing you're really scared about. Juggling chainsaws is like there are too many things for you to handle, and so, uh, so uh, imagine this. You, you have a general, you're, you, you feel like you're pretty capable, right? So pretend for a second you can juggle three balls. How many people can juggle three balls? Anyone? Maybe? Okay, come on, no one, no one? Okay, Aiden maybe. Um, let's pretend you can juggle three balls. And you're like, I'm really good at this. Doing great, I can do this all day. And then there's another person in your circus troupe who throws you another ball. And you're like, oh, four, shoot, I've never done this before. I'm, I'm like, this is pretty tough. I'm not sure if I can do it. And then they throw you another ball. And then they throw you another ball. And they throw you another ball. And you're juggling like seven balls. And then pretend the balls are chainsaws, okay? So in life, you're dealing with all of this stuff, and these feel high stakes, you know? Like, like you're studying for the SATs, but you're also studying for an AP test, and you're also studying for your physics test, and then you also have Chinese school, and then you also have stuff going on in your family. There's so many different things you're struggling with, and you're like, maybe I can hold on, but I'm not sure if I can. And if one thing goes wrong, then everything will fall apart, and I will be, instead of juggling chainsaws, I will have chainsaws on me, which is not good. You know, that's kind of how it feels. That's another type of anxiety. Number three, the world's going to hell anxiety. Uh, this is a very uniquely adult one, I think. But now that you kids have the internet, maybe, so like kids joke about it more, um, or kids like are like, you know, blah, 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 like capitalism, blah, blah, blah. So you guys have lots of opinions about these things. Um, adults actually are obsessed with this stuff, okay? So this is a uniquely adult anxiety, I would say. I, there are probably exceptions. But it's like, look at the direction of the country, or look at the direction of the world. I remember back in my day, you know, back in, uh, let's see, back in 2003 when we had good music. No, just kidding. <laughs> but but this, is a, this is a uniquely real thing. And, and the reason, part of the reason for it is once I had Toby, all of a sudden these things became way more real to me, the future, where it's like, what's life going to be like for Toby? What's the school system going to be like for Toby? 
What's politics going to be like? What's war like? And then, you know, in the news, there are so many different political conflicts and turmoil and uncertainty. The world is going to hell. We get worried about it, right? And then there's a new one that I think I discovered through being married to my wife. Um, <laughs> uh, what, what I call this one is, is uh, like you're flinching at the future. So this is a particular type of fear of the future where this is kind of like the test one, but for, for us, it's like we know something painful is going to happen, and so we are like preparing ourselves for that painful event, and we are dreading it and not looking forward to it. Do you know what I mean? So let me give you an illustration of that. Um, <laughs> well, um, Ashley's pregnant again, so she's, she's about four months pregnant. I, I'm like, aren't you guys supposed to clap or something? Um, so so uh, she, we're really excited. Uh, we're also flinching at the future because we are already dreading and in terror of the first couple of months when we'll have the kid where we'll have absolutely no sleep and we have another kid. So it's like, we got to take care of Toby on no sleep and there's all of this crazy stuff that comes with that. And I'm not even dealing with the like, you know, delivery process and there, there's all kinds of other stuff where, so it's like you flinch. And the crazy thing about this is even though the event has not happened yet, you experience a thousand pangs of pain for the future thing right now because it's gonna be painful and you're dreading it and you hate it and you're not looking forward to it. These are some types of anxiety. And so what I want to show you is that all of these types of anxiety to some degree, and I would argue that um, they all have kind of the same story that you're telling yourself about reality and God underneath all of them, okay? Uh, so let me, let me go to the next slide. Um, the story of reality underneath the anxiety. What is the story of reality underneath the anxiety? Um, the story is something like this. There is no God. There is no one looking out for my interests. And therefore, the future is uncertain. And whatever happens in my life all comes down to me. I think if you look carefully at these different anxieties, now, I'm not saying you don't plan for the future. I'm not saying you don't have worry or concern or prepare for the future. I'm not saying you don't study for a test because you have a test. What I'm saying is sometimes we have a regular healthy level of fear that drives us to action. We're like, oh shoot, I've got this test. I better study. And that actually drives you into taking action that you need to do to a, a address the problem or circumstance, right? That is perfectly healthy and perfectly good, but sometimes it goes even further where you are, in a sense, like irrationally or you're over anxious because you have this view of life and view of reality where all of the pressure is on you. And so what I would say, we're going to unpack the kind of, like these are symptoms and we're gonna unpack the underlying story underneath these different types of anxiety. And only when we start to believe, like to see what is really happening in this anxiety cycle thing, we can start to address it, right? We wanna understand the root cause. And this is the Christian approach 
to the root cause of anxiety, okay? There are two stories of reality. One of them is that there is no God, which means we are basically on our own and we have to help ourselves. We have to do what it takes to survive. And then depending on your worldview, you could say, oh, we're in a doggy dog world, you know? Uh, it is a zero sum game. We live in the jungle and I gotta eat. Like I gotta, I gotta figure out how to take care of myself. And therefore all of the pressure is on you. Now this actually might be really great for some of you who are very talented and successful because then you feel like, I'm just better than everyone. At the game of life, I'm winning. And so I would say roughly 82% of rap songs are about this, where they're like, at the game of life, I'm winning. Look at my Cadillac, look at my Gulfstream, look at my bill, you know, like, but, but we're, a lot of people are like this. So that's like one example rap. Other people are like in the job thing, you know, like I'm so successful in my job, my identity is in my work. But this is really bad news for those of us who are like, I can't handle life, you know? I'm not winning at the game of life. What hope is there for you? And I think what this passage shows is if you feel like you're not winning at the game of life, in the Christian story, thing, your situation is so much better than you could imagine. And so now, what I'm saying is, even if you don't believe the Christian story is true, you should want it to be true because it's way better than the alternative. So you get me? Once you start to think to yourself, and this is from Blaise Pascal, genius theologian philosopher, once you start to think, oh, I want the Christian story to be true, then you can start to investigate the actual truth claims of it, right? Where, do I want it to be true? Yes. Is it true? And then you investigate, and then maybe you say to yourself, no, I don't think it's compelling. I don't think it's reasonable to believe this. I just gotta deal with the jungle, in which case you live your life that way. But maybe you can find that you want it to be true, and then it actually is true. And then that changes everything, okay? It's a totally different story. So let's, let's talk about this. Uh, I got kind of four-ish points. I have three actions for you to do and a reason why you can do these things, okay? Three actions and a reason. So let's look into it. The first one, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So right off the bat, when Peter, the Apostle Peter talks about anxiety and casting all your cares on God, what you don't realize is humbling yourself is the most important imperative thing that he's telling you to do. It is the first thing that he's telling you to do. And in a sense, you could almost say casting your anxieties on God, which feels really nice. Like we put this on Instagram, like super quoted on Christian, in Christian circles, cast all your anxieties because he cares for you. But you generally don't quote verse six, where it says, humble yourselves. In reality, James is talking about pride and humility and anxiety, and these things are all related to each other. So he says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. So humble yourselves, what does humility mean? What does humbleness mean? And then he says, therefore. So what does therefore mean? The word therefore means he is referring back to something he said previously. And what is he referring to? If you look at 1 Peter verse five, chapter 5, verse 5, he says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. So he was talking about elders, like the, the leaders of the church, and basically telling them, 
uh, you guys should shepherd the flock willingly, not under compulsion. Don't be domineering and harsh, but set an example for the sheep. Um, and so right off the bat, church leaders, don't be jerks. Don't be overbearing and aggressive and power hungry and domineering. And then in light of that, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, right? Be subject to the elders. And in the word subject, it means like trust them, like take what they say seriously, treat them with honor, like, like believe them, like treat them with authority. And then he says this, clothe yourselves, all of you, so younger, older, elders, not elders, everyone, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And so uh, Peter is saying, all of us should be characterized by humility. Now, we don't really know what humility means, so we'll talk about that. Uh, but let me, this, is the, this is the most important part of the therefore. Clothe yourself with all of you with humility toward one another, for, because, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. This is a really, really profound statement about the story of reality and about who God is and about the right attitude we should have towards God. So uh, what does it mean to humble yourself? Uh, when we think about this word, here's some things that we can think it means. You can take a look at these. Uh, it means to feel bad about yourself. Humble yourself. You suck. Uh, it could mean pretend or think you're bad at something you're good at. Like, oh, like, like, let's pretend someone is an amazing dancer. I'm looking at you, and then, and then, like, someone asks you, like, oh, are you good at dance? And you're like, no, I'm not very good. Or like, Joshua's like amazing at piano, and he's like, oh, I'm okay. You know, it's it's just like it feels inappropriate to just say like, yeah, like I'm pretty good. And I I I'm it's like that for me too. You know. It's like that for me, too. When In the rare occurrences that people compliment me, I'm like, oh, shucks, you know. I don't like it when you compliment me. Um, pretend or think you're, you're bad at something you're good at, you know, or don't be a show-off, right? This is what we think humility means. But I think humility here um, is something very different. Okay, now, let me talk first before we define humility about what it means that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, and so uh, there's a comedy sketch group uh, named Key and Peel. So let's see, they are they're PG 17. I don't know. Like I don't know what age it's appropriate to watch the majority of their sketches is. But there is one that I think I can recommend to you all if you're in this group. It's called You Can Do Anything. Okay, and this is both an illustration of what pride looks like and also how God opposes the proud and why it's actually good that God opposes the proud. Because uh, when you think to yourself, oh, that's not fair. Like, why is God going against proud people? What's wrong with that? Shouldn't we take pride in what we do? Shouldn't we have satisfaction when we do a good job? That's actually not what is going on. Let me show you what pride looks like. So in Key and Peel, you can do anything. There is a basketball player who has just hit a game-winning shot in the very last second. So he's in the locker room. Um, I would show it, but uh, there's copyright issues with the recordings and stuff, so um, that's why. Um, 
you know what? You guys can pull it up on your phone right now and watch it if you want. It's probably like two and a half minutes. Um, so let me just explain a little bit of it. So this basketball player is being interviewed in the locker room, and he is so amped up about the win. He's like going crazy. He keeps on going like, oh my gosh, like, oh my gosh. And he's like, yeah, like, oh, we just won the game. And he starts saying this. He's like, you can do anything. And the reporter's like, wow, this guy is really excited about just hitting the game-winning shot. And he's like, you can do anything. There are no limits. You can literally do anything. You can swim the Atlantic. You can jump really high like me. You can jump to the moon if you believe in yourself the way I believe in myself. And the reporter is like, uh, okay, I don't know if you can do those things. And then he's like, kids, you can do whatever you want. You can do anything. Kids, you should go onto your roof right now. You can fly. And the reporter's like, no, kids, you literally cannot. No, he's speaking metaphorically. You can't fly. And he's like, no, kids, you can literally fly. You can fly into the night. And he's like, no, no, you can't do that. And then he keeps on going. And he's like, kids, ages 8 to 10, preteens, you are immortal. And then he keeps on going, right? So now, what's going on here? He is so amped up about his success that he loses all sense of reality, right? And so what I would say pride is, is pride is being at odds with reality. Like, no matter, so, and, and this is why there's so much advice out there that is absolutely foolish nonsense. Like some of the advice that's absolutely foolish nonsense, and dude, this is where I am such a pessimistic Debbie Downer. I'm so uninspirational. I'm gonna tell you right now, you cannot do anything you want. <laughs> you cannot get into Harvard. <laughs> so maybe some of you can, but probably you can't get into Harvard. You know, like you cannot do anything you want. You are not immortal. You cannot fly. There are limits to you as a human. And part of what it means to be wise is to accept your limits and recognize them and know where you fit in. And so if pride is to have an overestimation of yourself, humility is having a proper estimation of yourself. And then in the context of the Bible, humility is to have a right view of yourself as a human before God and to know the difference between God and you. You get me? In this clip, he's acting like he's a superhero. He thinks he's something more than human. He thinks he's like God. And we have these fantasies all throughout our stories about how we want God-like ability. And then we idolize, we deify those people who can do things that we never could do. And so therefore, on YouTube, whenever anyone is super duper talented, uh, you, you watch them play the guitar or piano and they get a million views. You watch them lift way more weight than I could ever lift and they get a million views. It's because they're almost supernatural. They're so incredible. And humans can do such incredible things. But reality is reality. So let me illustrate it in this way. Um, let's pretend for a second you are, the, you are history's greatest athlete, okay? You are, have access to a time machine and you can go to the point in the future where all of humanity's knowledge has crystallized the training methods, the machines, the nutrition, the genetics, 
And you can go to that point um, where you can receive the pinnacle training. Um, and your whole goal is to jump as high as you possibly can. How high do you think this human would be able to jump? So, for example, there's a guy named Zion Williamson in the NBA. He's like 300 pounds. He can jump like, like 48 inches in the air. He can jump four feet in the air, and he's 300 pounds at least. Four feet in the air. Who, which one of you is four feet tall? Stand up right now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Stop being mean. Stop calling her out. <laughs> um, now, if you had all these training and you were the most genetically gifted athlete ever, how much higher do you think you could jump? Could you jump six feet? A standing vertical jump? Probably. Could you jump seven feet? Maybe. Could you jump eight feet? I don't know. You can? Okay. Uh, do it. Here, here, do it, do it right now. <laughs> Which one of you is eight feet? Okay. Um, all the training, can you jump to the moon? Can they jump to the moon? Guarantee you, guarantee you, if humans lived for 100 gazillion years, they would not be able to jump to the moon with just their legs, right? That, so what that means is the difference between me and the most gifted leaper who has ever existed is maybe like, what, six feet in jumping ability? The difference between that person and God is unfathomable. Do you know what I mean? And so I am closer to the most athletically gifted person who ever lived than that person is to God. That is an appropriate estimation of where we are in comparison to God. Because God created all the universe, God created physics and math, and God has so much incredible power and knowledge and perspective that we couldn't possibly fathom. And so when you are being proud, you are putting yourself on the throne of God rather than recognizing your limits as a human and what's going on? This is why God opposes the proud, because it will be extremely damaging to you as a person and your relationships if you put yourself in the place of God and believe you have abilities that you don't have. So in this skit, Jordan Peele is the basketball player and Michael Keegan Key is the announcer. And Michael Keegan Key is the voice of reason. And he's the voice of God, almost, you could say. You're, you're being crazy. You're too much. Kids, no, you can't fly. You can't do anything. You can't. That is what God is saying. God is trying to tear down your hopes and dreams. <laughs> no, okay. I'm trying to tear down your... <laughs> if, if God did not oppose the proud, he would be letting your inflated view of yourself lead to harm to self and others. Now, you guys might be thinking to yourself, um, oh, this doesn't seem like good news to me. What's the deal with this? Um, all I would suggest to you is probably many of you know, if not all of us know what it's like to live under expectations that other people have of you or expectations you have of yourself that you, for, that you will never realize. Do you know what I mean? So, for example, uh, your little five-foot, two-and-a-half sophomore in high school, Daniel Gillum, and you want more than anything in the world to be a six foot 10 NBA player on the bench of a championship roster so you get your ring. It's never gonna happen. And if all of my dreams 
are centered around that goal that is unreachable for me, that is devastating, and no matter how hard I try, I'm wasting my time and it will lead to despair. But here's the crazy thing. What is the story of our anxiety? The story of our anxiety is actually really crazy. Um, so the story of our anxiety is that we want to be in the place of God in being able to determine what happens in our future. We're in the place of God when we believe if I work hard enough or I use my talents enough, I can dictate the way my life is going to go. I can control it. I can do it. But you don't have access to the future. And so you are trying to say, like, I, and, and then this manifests in a wide variety of ways, okay? Um, it manifests in so many different ways. It's like, I talked about the arrival fallacy a while back, where you're like, I want to be God in getting what I want now and not having to go through time to get it. Do you know what I mean? If only I had that thing I want right now, then I would be happy. And because you don't have it, you're anxious or depressed. What's going on there? You're trying to act like you're God. You're thinking too highly of yourself, and you're trying to do something that's impossible. And so you can control the future just as much as I can jump really high, jump to the moon. Or just as much as you kids can fly. You can't do it. And so what's crazy is parents do the same thing. <laughs> they put expectations of their kids they can't handle um, because the parents want to fulfill their dreams through their kids, and they weren't able to do it. Kids put expectations on themselves. Like, we all put expectations on ourselves. Does this mean you don't try to achieve? This is, does this mean you don't try really hard to do what you want? No, absolutely not. But what's so important is to recognize and learn your capacity, your limits, right? And so what's really cool is once you understand the story of God for you, once you understand that God is the one who determines what your life outcomes are, you can be at peace with whatever outcome happens. So you want to go to Harvard. You try your best. You take the steps that you can to try to get into that school. And then the difference is, whatever happens, you can say to yourself, am I alone? Is someone looking out for me? Is someone guiding my path and my future? And so as a really dumb example, let's pretend you don't go to Harvard, you go to a different school, and there you meet the love of your life and you get married. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't you be happy? But if you were to talk to the person who was like, like four years ago, who was in high school freaking out about whether they get into Harvard or not. When you got rejected, you felt like your entire world fell apart and your future was doomed. And if you could see yourself in like seven years when you're happily married, what would you think to yourself? I'm so glad I didn't go to Harvard. Now that's just an illustration of the way that God sees our future, where the things we think are good for us right now are not necessarily the best things for us in the future. And so, when we try to know what's best for us in the future, and we are absolutely convinced, we're trying to be God. And so this is a great definition of humility and pride by Andrew Murray. Humility is the displacement of self by the enthronement of God. So what does it mean to humble yourself? It is to take yourself off of the throne. It is not to pretend you suck at stuff that you're good at. It's to say, look, there are certain things I can do in life I can put my effort, I can try to steward my abilities and giftedness, and you should, but I am not God. I don't control the outcomes of my life. And that is so freeing. Isn't that so freeing? Because whenever God, people use the illustration of God closing a door, 
right? You want something really bad. And the disappointment is real. The hurt is real. I'm not trying to diminish that. But then when God closes a door, the story you can tell yourself, which is a true story, is the reason why God did that is because there is something better elsewhere that he's leading you towards and guiding you towards. Humility is the displacement of self by the enthronement of God. The second thing about humility is you're putting God on the throne, you're putting him back where he belongs, and then you're trusting him to be there. And so to be on the throne means you order, he is the one ordering the world, controlling politics, controlling the future. And so for the adults who are in the, the whole world's going to hell camp, uh, let God be God. Let God order the nations and the wars and the politics. And I used that illustration um, a few weeks ago where Martin Luther was talking to his super anxious friend, Philip, and he said to Philip, does anyone remember? Let Philip cease to rule the world. This guy was stressed out all the time because he wanted to be in control and he wanted everything to go according to his knowledge and way. And some of us are like that, right? If you're type A, if you're really talented, you can control a lot of stuff. You, are, you have incentives and you are reinforced to rely on your judgment and yourself. Um, but in the end, that will lead you to anxiety. It will lead you to pressures that you can't handle. So then humility is the displacement of self by the enthronement of God. Pride, this is me just flipping around what Andrew Murray said. Pride is the enthronement of self by the displacement of God. And so in this story, you are on the throne and God doesn't exist and you are in control. Whatever happens, you earned it or you didn't earn it. You know, like you, you succeeded all on your own or you failed all on your own. Which story do you want to live in? A story where there is a loving God, a father who guides you and leads you and cares for you or one where it is all on you. Now, as I'm saying this, you could be thinking to yourself, this is just wish fulfillment. Like you just want God to be true and you should want God to be true too. But I am not establishing whether God is real or not. And we can talk about that later. That's a real question you should ask if you're thoughtful. But you, go, you have to see the goodness of God, and you have to like, want him to be true, and then you can start asking intellectual questions about the existence of God, okay? Okay, so what does it mean to humble yourself? It's to have a proper view of yourself and God. Anxiety is discomfort with being on the throne of your life. I made that one up, but I'm still, I'm still borrowing from Andrew Murray, right? Anxiety is discomfort with being on the throne of your life. You're feeling all the pressure because it's all on you. You are the one in charge. And so, like, as Christians, as people who know God and believe in God, it is very possible that we still experience anxiety because functionally we are acting like we're in charge and we're on the throne of our lives. And so what does it mean to get off the throne? What do we do? So the first action is to humble yourself, right? Humility releases you from the pressure of being God. Um, and so uh, go, to, go to the four points. Just keep going forward a few times to the four points. So uh, get off the throne. The second point is uh, get under the hand. Get under the hand of God. So back to the text. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. This is incredible. 
because some of us have a kind of nagging doubt or suspicion about God. Even if God cares for us, is he able to even help me in my situation? Can God even do anything to help me? And in this passage, what scripture is saying is God has a mighty hand. God is able to help you when you go to him. And so the story of reality, if there is no God, you're on your own. If there is a God, everything changes as long as he's powerful enough to actually help you, right? Is he senile? Is he impotent? Is he like a grandpa who just like, I'm not saying, if you're a grandpa, I'm not trying to, like someone who doesn't have the strength to actually help, right? You know what I mean? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. This was a phrase that Israel, so Peter is writing to Jewish Christians who are dispersed. And this phrase, mighty hand, would have signified to them all of the stories of God's miraculous deliverance of Israel in the past. So the mighty hand of God was the hand that rescued them from slavery in Egypt by doing the 10 plagues and miraculously saving them and delivering them from Pharaoh and Egypt. And so when they would have seen this word or these words, the mighty hand of God, that's what they would have thought of. If God could deliver us from Egypt, from this incredibly powerful nation, when we had no strength and no ability ourselves, then I can trust him to help me and I can put myself under him. Now, I want, I want to give you an image about humbling yourself under his hand. Um, here's a Toby story coming. Are you excited? Uh, so I play a lot of games with Toby, uh, and most of the games are like, I am a scary daddy monster, and he runs away from me, laughing maniacally. Uh, and so I like, you know, I'm like, rah, 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 I'm a scary monster, and Toby's like, ah, ha, ha, and they start like running away from me, and I start chasing him, and then he runs headfirst into Ashley's face, and she hugs him, and she says, safe zone, safe zone. And then once he's in the safe zone, I'm not allowed to touch Toby. I'm not allowed to tickle him. I'm not allowed to mess with him. He's free. He's safe, right? Childhood trauma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he loves it so much. Maybe it also is traumatizing him. I, I, fine. I, whatever. We'll see. We'll see how it turns out. Um, but what's so incredible and so funny is Toby sometimes goes out of the safe zone. Like, I'm still right there. And I'm like, rah, rah, rah. And then Toby starts squirming. And he's like, let go of me, mom. Ha, <laughs> ha, He's laughing. Let go of me, mom. And then he starts like running or like walking. And I'm like, ha, 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 now I got you. He leaves the safe zone. You get me? What it means to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God is to realize that God is a safe zone. And that it is always your decision to leave it by putting yourself in the position of God. If you want to be in control of your life, you have to leave the safe zone and you have to put yourself on the throne because he says, humble yourself under the hand of God, right? So if you're under someone's hand, God is, his hand is powerful and he, it's like his gesture of protection, right? Where it's like, if you're under me, I can protect you. If you want to be over me, then I can't reach my hand high enough to get over you again. He lets you leave the safe zone. And so when you experience anxiety, not in every case, sometimes the reason you're experiencing it is because you have never humbled yourself out of control of your life and you have never put yourself in the place where you are under his hand. And what that means is accepting what outcomes come 
as from the hand of God. You get me? When things don't go the way you like, you have to be able to trust him and say, I am still under the hand of God. He is protecting me and leading me. And therefore, I can be hopeful for the future because there's something good for me. This is not easy, okay? I'm not saying this is easy, but it's so important that you humble yourself. And you're not just humbling yourself into like, you know, you're like on the ground and you're like, I'm a worm, I'm so miserable. No, you're humbling yourself by putting you under God's protection and saying, God, you have the responsibility to care for me. But that is so freeing and joyous and life-giving, okay? And then he also says, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Uh, This means that you have to care more about pleasing God than about pleasing anyone else. If you humble yourself under God, you are free from other people's expectations. Now, that doesn't mean you don't obey your parents. It doesn't mean you don't want to get certain things. But what it means is if your parents have unrealistic expectations that are crushing to you, now, this is not a short-term thing that's easy to like discern as a kid, but at some point when you're older and like you, like sometimes you can go to a counselor and the counselor can help you understand, maybe your parents were telling you to jump to the moon when it's just not possible for you. They're telling you to become a doctor or become an engineer when you just simply aren't made for it. It's not a good fit for you. But they are so convinced that this is what you have to do. And so at some point, with discernment, like talk to me and Dan before you boot all your parents' expectations and say, they're out to get me, they're so bad. No, no, no. Be wise about it, think through it, wait till you're older, and then you can kind of say, maybe their expectations are actually at odds with what God wants from me. If they're withholding love, that's not what God wants, you know? If their love is conditional on how well you do, that's not what God wants from them and from you. At the proper time, he may exalt you. And so when you humble yourself, God, like, okay, one of my favorite verses, God is the lifter of my head. When I'm depressed, like, if you think about depressed, what depressed means, it means you go low. I feel low. I feel down. And the crazy thing about depression is you can't even deal with, like, you can't control it. But here's the crazy thing. That verse, God is the lifter of my head. I have experienced this, where this is the way I feel, and I cry out to him, And he is the one who raises my head and gives me a sense of hope and dignity. And it's nothing that I did. The same thing is true for anxiety, where you are so anxious about things and you can cast them on him and that he will exalt you, which means he will give you a sense of security and hope for the future that doesn't come from you. You're not trying to like use positive thinking. There is a real God who encounters and interacts with you in a way that brings you hope. Get off your throne and under his hand, To get under his hand is to enthrone God, place yourself under his protection, honor him through obedience and gratitude, to wait patiently. Some of us need to hear, we got to wait before God exalts us in the way that we're looking for. We can't determine how God will exalt us, but we can trust that he will and that he'll reassure us no matter what happens. He'll always be with us. Let's keep going. Cast all your anxieties on him. Uh, This is an amazing word, the cast cast word. It means to, to hurl. To throw. I would, I, in my uh, modern English, I would say to chuck. Maybe this is like 20-year-old English, but for me it's modern. To, to chuck, to throw. And so here's the thing. What are you throwing? You're throwing your anxieties to God. And so you can picture throw and catch. 
here's my anxieties, God, catch. And then once you let go of them, they're gone. The ball is in his hand. Do you know what I mean? And so the process, the action, the second action, after you humble yourself, this is what it it looks like to involve God in everything you do. Whenever you have a care, go to him, pray to him, hurl that anxiety on him, and say, God, I am not you. Take my anxiety. If I am overestimating what I can control, if I'm putting too much pressure on myself, can you help me understand what actions I can take today and right now? So if you're taking a test tomorrow, throw your anxieties on him and say, look, I can't control the outcomes of my test, but right now I can study. Can you help me study for that test? And then the outcome is up to God. The future is up to God. And then let's pretend you do bad on the test. You say to God, God, I I did bad on this test. And then what might God say to you? Well, that was because you didn't understand the material. Maybe you can learn the material better. And then at some point, you just get a bad grade in the class. You're like, how am I getting into college? Throw that care on God. If things are going badly, just keep on throwing the cares on him. But what's crazy is maybe those bad grades are actually directing you away from a path that would make you miserable. Maybe if you got better grades in engineering, you'd become a software engineer, and you would hate it. You'd make a lot of money, but you would be absolutely miserable. That's God's wise, mighty hands leading you away from it through failure. That's so hopeful for me, because it means when I fail, I can learn from it. I am not abandoned. My future is not hopeless. My future is actually bright with God. And so involve him. Cast all your cares on him. And so um, easier said than done. You got got to know when you're anxious, like when you feel anxious, because if you're a guy, okay, this is a generalization. If you're a guy, you're kind of an emotional, emotionally stunted. Um, At least I'm saying this about myself. I don't always know what I'm feeling, and it takes me a while. And sometimes Ashley knows when I'm feeling bad when I don't. And so sometimes what I need is to recognize when I'm actually anxious, and then I can throw it to God. So do you know when you're anxious? Second, do you respond to your anxiety by hurling them at God, or do you immediately respond by freaking out and panicking and taking action to fix your problems? That is the story that it is all on you, all the pressure is on you, there is no God, right? And that's why you're anxious, that's why you're freaking out. Third one, do you think? If you're anxious, do you know what God is like? Do you realize that in this verse, it says, cast all your anxieties upon him, Why? Because he cares for you. So get get this. If God is all-powerful, if he has a mighty hand, here's some logic for you. If God is all-powerful, if he has a mighty hand, and he doesn't care for you, why would you ever cast your anxieties on him? If God does not have a mighty hand, but he cares for you, why would you ever cast his anxieties on him? But if God cares for you, and he has a mighty hand, he is powerful. He is able to help you, and he's willing. And not only that, he loves to help you. He loves to take these things off of your your plate. He doesn't want you to try to jump to the moon. He wants you to live a life that's faithful to him, which means like honoring your parents and loving people and helping people. And you know, you will get some like money or like just job success, whatever it might be. Those outcomes are kind of on God. But what is on you is you can relate to him. You can trust him with things. And you got to think through it. A lot of the times we might pray to God, but the prayer doesn't do anything 
because we're not thinking about the story of God. We're not realizing he cares for us. And so um, the illustration I always use is the baby monitor. So when Toby is asleep or whatever it might be, we are watching him on the baby monitor and we pay often careful attention to what he's doing. That is how God cares about us. And that's the degree to which God notices and follows what we're doing all the time, all the time without fail. He is looking at you. He wants to encourage you and help you. And he's just waiting for you to cast those things on him because he cares for you so much. Uh, This is good news. God knows that we can't save ourselves. And so he sent Jesus. He took the initiative to do what you couldn't do. And so if God took the initiative to save you by sending Jesus, in the same way, even more, you can trust God, a powerful God who cares for you to direct your life and free you from anxiety. And so what are the actions? Humble yourselves. Cast your cares on him. Put yourself under God's mighty hand. And then remember this truth. He cares for you so deeply. Uh, This is a process. And so what I would say is, if you do this for a significant period of time, you will experience great relief for your anxiety in amazing ways. This is not a quick fix, honestly. You increasingly have to step out where you say, God, I want to trust you, but I can't do it right now. Can you help me? And then he comes through for you in ways you didn't imagine. And then you're like, okay, I can trust you a little bit more. And then you keep on casting things on him. And then you forget because you're so busy. And they're like, wait, I'm stressed out. I must be anxious. I must be putting myself on the throne. God, sorry, sorry. I'm sorry I did that. Can you help me do it again? Can you help me put myself under you and trust you? And over time, your anxiety level will go down. You will be able to trust him more with what happens. This is what the passage is saying. This is why we can trust in God. Uh, Will you do it? Do you want this story to be true? I certainly do. Let's pray. Dear Lord, the things we're dealing with right now, uh, we cast them to you. We put the ball in your court. We put them in your hands. We pray that you would give us the humility we need to dethrone ourselves and put you in your rightful place. And then I pray, God, you would miraculously, amazingly reassure us by your spirit that we might trust you more deeply and be able to lean more on you and trust you with our futures. I pray you would be delivering us from the burden of being God and helping us trust you to do that job and give you control to do that in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.